Woo! Ah, it has been a wild few days already this week, um, and I'm sure the next few days will just get wilder. But anyway, a lot of that just means content for you. How about that? So, of course, this is the Golden Stallion here with you, the man of tomorrow's Savzu, the rated R woo, radio star, the podcast champion. Tap the belt. Here for your Sovereign Tech Patreon-only Wednesday Q&A, where I can actually get into all of the questions that get sent in to me, um, not just one or two at best, uh, that I can get into a Sovereign Tech Prime episode. So, oh boy, um, we're going to run the gamut on this one. We're going to get into quite a few. We're, we got some tech questions. We actually have um, kind of a philosophical question that I want to be uh, careful with. And eh, maybe we'll get into some geeky shit. But, you know, let's start it off with a little bit of geeky shit. Not not necessarily a question, but I recently acquired. Um, in fact, it's funny. Uh, Entrada didn't do. I know I mentioned these two companies a lot. Entrada and La La Land Records. Um, it's because they, they come out with, <laughs> frankly, with music that interests me. They come out with rare soundtracks like that. That's their business. It's what they it's what they release. Um, and La La Land Records recently released, and it's already sold out as far as I know. Uh, there was only like 3,000 units made of the CD, and again, it's not available digitally. Uh, they made a limited edition release of the soundtrack for The Day the Earth Stood Still from the original one from 1951 by Bernard Herrmann. Uh, the, you know, the sound, uh, the score by Bernard Herrmann, which is just this wild-ass fucking soundtrack. Like, not as cool as Forbidden Planet, right, as far as soundtracks go but really, really slick and, and very epic. And, and you just, you listen to it and, and man, you, I mean, you get transported back in time, you know, <laughs> uh, but I have one of the 3000 units. Uh, I, I jumped on that as, as soon as it, uh, as soon as it came out. And it was funny too, because I, I also, uh, they had like a, they had a sci-fi sale going on because of the release supposedly of the day the earth stood still soundtrack, which was a very big deal, which I agree. It's a big deal. I mean, and it's a gorgeous, I mean, the sound is the sound quality that they release this with is, is phenomenal. They really cleaned it up. I mean, it just sounds fantastic. Uh, but I, I also picked up they had the uh, 50th anniversary. I guess this would have been from 2015, but the 50th anniversary soundtrack collection of uh, of Lost in Space, which is like a 12 disc collection from the original Lost in Space. Fuck the new shit. And man, going through some of that, Johnny Williams. Oh yeah, uh, you know, going through some of that was just. Oh, that what, what mind blowing. But also the other thing I wanted to mention, I mean, I got a couple things I want to mention here. Also, uh, in, in Trata released and with no fanfare whatsoever. So th those were both La La Land records, but in Trata released this week, um, or a couple weeks ago, again, I, I, I didn't know it even came out. Like they, they usually, they, they make a big deal out of other, out of, you know, about their new releases that came out. Like they had the Rambo three soundtrack come out like last month. And I mean, they were really, really promoting the fucking shit out of that. And I mean, right on because it's Jerry Goldsmith and it's one of Jerry Goldsmith's best scores, you know, by a long shot. I, I, I mean, and Jerry Goldsmith's the greatest composer of all time, in my opinion. Yes, he's better than John Williams. Um, and, you know, to give him it's hard to say whatever his greatest scores are. But Rambo three is certainly right up there with, you know, the likes of the 13th Warrior first night, uh, you know, the omen and so on. But anyway, uh, they released, fortunately, I was just kind of looking around. I was actually looking to get the soundtrack for the two disc for the Beastmaster. Um, but they released a full version with tons of unreleased music for the, um, 
uh, for Stargate SG-1 Children of the Gods. And they labeled it under the final cut, which is the version that you can generally see, that you generally see now that took out the nudity. I'm not going to talk about that again. I've talked about that many times already um, on in Sovereign Tech's history because I think it's bullshit that they cut out when Sha Rae, uh, you know, uh, gets stripped nude for very good reasons. Um, I mean, that 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 they had that scene originally and, and them pulling it is stupid. Anyway, uh, all by Jerry Goldsmith's son, actually, Joe Goldsmith. And wow, I was listening to that all morning today. In between that and uh, James Gleek's book, uh, uh, Time Travel. And fuck, I, I mean, what what a masterful little... You know, and, and it, it brought something to mind to me. I mean, just a masterful soundtrack, right? But it brought something to mind to me. We, I am, you know, myself, I've always felt, and I'm not the only person that says this sort of thing. I think a lot of people feel this way. They feel like they're out of time, right? Speaking of time travel. <laughs> but, but I think a lot of people feel they're either born too late or they were born too early, right? They either belongs at some point in the past, um, I know a lot of ANCAPs wish they lived in the 1950s, uh, you know, or they, you know, they, they, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. No, I should have said that, but I know that I shouldn't say a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just the prominent ones, it seems. Um, and you know, or, or there's a lot of people, you know, that feel that they, they should be, they should have been born in the far, in the far future. Obviously I've generally felt myself, I should have been born in the far future, you know, living in the time of Star Trek or something like that. Right. But at the same time, I'm so happy for the time frame that I have lived in. I'm so happy to have, and I mean this, okay, so I was born in 81. I am really happy to have grown up in the 90s and to, meaning growing up in the 90s, meaning that as a teenager, even though I would get a job pretty early on, much to the chagrin of my parents who didn't want me to, uh, but I did it anyway, just maybe to piss them off. Uh, you know, I still had a lot of free time and not a whole lot of responsibilities, you know, and the weight of the world isn't on you right at those, you know, when you're a teenager, usually uh, some of us, I guess it is depending upon your family situation, but I had a lot of free time. And so I got to use that time, you know, to I, honestly, like I played a lot of video games, watched a lot of TV, but what I'm happy about is that the big things that were getting promoted at the time were just some of the greatest shit ever made. For example, Babylon 5, Stargate SG-1. I mean, those were, and, and of course, you know, Star Trek was was in its heyday at the time. But these were like the main three things getting schlepped around as far as science fiction. So if you're a science fiction fan, look, that's what you were fucking watching. That was what was available. You understand? You didn't have, you know, it wasn't like this this deluge of, tele, of, of TV shows that we have now where, I mean, you can't possibly keep track of them all. No, at the time... In the 90s, science fiction was more or less, I mean, I know there were other shows, and I know them all. Earth Final Conflict, Andromeda, um, you know, I get into Star Hunter, I mean, like there's there's you know, Space Priest, I mean, there, there's tons of them, right? I know. You know who you're talking to, right? I'm the king of the nerds, and I'm not fucking kidding. I am the king. So... In the 90s, though, but I mean, like the big three, really, the, the, I mean, the major ones. And yeah, I don't know if you want to consider Highlander uh, uh, science fiction. I, I guess it kind of is. But that, that was certainly, I mean, that was the, the, the like for a while, it was the number two show in the world right under Baywatch in the world because, you know, people outside of America have taste. 
including Baywatch and Highlander. So the big three were, you know, SG-1, you had just tons of Star Trek to choose from, either in syndication or running new, whatever. And, and you had Babylon 5. And I'm just so happy that, like, I was there to really experience those shows and that I didn't fall prey to the mindset that I think most people fall prey to today, that because it's old, it sucks. Or because the effects aren't that great, it sucks. Or because the acting isn't necessarily at the same caliber, maybe, that acting is today, that it, that it sucks and I can't bother to watch it. Or that, you know, like, you use, that I was even used to watching television without having to binge. Now, granted, binge watching actually helps with shows like Babylon 5, right? Because they have huge story arcs and and that can make it enjoyable. But yeah, I'm just really glad. And I mean, we were, you know, to to use a term I usually don't like to use, we were really fucking blessed in the 90s. Because sure, we didn't have the same amount of science fiction that we have today. But fucking A, these are like the best shows ever made. You know, I mean, and and they're the best shows because at the time, in the 90s especially, I mean, this is true from the 70s upwards, you know, and even before, but really in the 90s is when you were finally getting to that sweet spot, largely a, largely a charge led by the next generation, quite frankly. But you're getting to that sweet spot where suddenly television, there was the expectation that what science fiction on television had to match science fiction in the theater, on the big screen, right? And so you had these production teams for these shows, SG-1, B-5, you know, and and Star Trek, of course, was already well on its way. But let's just say B-5 and SG-1 were like, I mean, they had to come up with the most wild experimental shit. And they have been, and and I I didn't realize some of this until I was... Yeah, I mean, you know, those shows, to finish my sentence, those shows have been so influential on everything else that came after it. And they're still being looked back by actual, I mean, I, I know that, that you know, most people that watch TV are stupid and, you know, they, they can't appreciate it. But the people that actually make the television shows that the dum-dums watch, uh, you know, like Game of Thrones or whatever else, they admit that they go back to Babylon 5 and SG-1 as reference material for how to make things look fresh interesting, colorful, whatever else. And I didn't come to realize this until I, I picked up the DVD set. Uh, and this is another thing that, that I think we're, I feel blessed about from being in the 90s and uh, the early aughts. I picked up the DVD set, because it's the only way you can get it, of Babylon 5. And I was watching, um, I watched both the the pilot movie, The Gathering, from, what was that, from like 93? I watched that with the director's commentary, or, you know, with Straczynski on commentary. And I think he had Gina Icavelli on there as well. And I watched in the beginning, the Babylon 5 movie in the beginning, um, that that also had Straczynski doing, you know, the commentary. Because on DVDs, that was one of the big selling points, is that you could get, like, directors or creators' commentaries over what you were watching. And I, and I was, you know, in the background, in between working, I had those kind of playing in the background. I mean, I know those movies by heart, you, you know, so... Watching it with the commentary, you know, made it made it very interesting. But, you know, listening to like all the production and everything. First off, fuck Netflix. Right? I mean, like Netflix does great things. I'm not saying that. And it's great. We're finally going to get that Sense8 finale in June, by the way. Um, I think it's June 8th of all ironies. <laughs> but um, but like, you know, fuck Netflix and all these streaming services, because while they could offer the commentary track, they generally don't. And that there is just magic and gold and whole new ways to experience things 
inside of those commentary tracks uh, that, that are that are just remarkable. We're going to get into the questions, folks, and, and I'll stop talking about geeky shit in a second. All right, relax. But I want to get this out. Um, and, and you come to respect just what exactly like beca- when when you get into that, I mean, it's far better than any making special because it's you're almost like real time experiencing what's going on or it's as close to real time as being there or as, as you can get. And man, like, I mean, they were just doing such brilliant shit back then, um, really groundbreaking stuff. And I, I have so much respect, you know, for for when people do that. And the ingenious ideas that they had because they didn't say have like the level of CGI effects. I mean, Babylon 5 had tons of CGI, you know, but because they didn't have the same level of effects that they had today and everything. I mean, like there's just just genius shit going on the whole time. And I mean, there's so many things that I learned from from the commentaries and all that. And like Babylon 5, I I didn't know this until I, I watched The Gathering with the director's commentary on with Straczynski talking. And he said the reason that the character of Delenn, the Mimbari character Delenn, why she looked so odd in The Gathering was that originally she was going to be male. But it's a female character. And what was going to happen was that at the end of season one, spoiler alerts, folks, show's only been around for 30 years um, or 20. Sorry. Uh, she at the end of season one, the character of Delenn was going to was going to become a woman. You know, it was originally a man and then it was going to become a woman. So they had a, a, a you know, they had Mira Furlan, the uh, you know, the actress playing the, the male character. And it didn't end up working out that way, like for whatever reasons. But regardless, holy fuck, you know, that show was so ahead of its time. I mean, that was pretty much, you know, going to be going to be pushing around some transgenderism. Great. You know, (laughs) to say nothing of the fact that it, it, it was the first show to talk to have a bisexual character in Ivanova and one of the first shows to discuss lesbianism and all these other things. I mean, like that show was so ahead of its goddamn time. I mean, way ahead of its time, and and it never gets the respect that it deserves, you know. But I'm so glad that I was there that it was the only thing that networks could promote that was science fiction. I mean, yeah, you had Sequest, you know, and all that, and I love Sequest, at least the first season anyway. You know, I, I know you had those too, but, like, that that's what was getting pushed, and so you watched it, right, because that's what was getting pushed. But I'm so glad that that's what was getting pushed because that gave me kind of the quote-unquote social permission to watch it because most people now, you know, for whatever reason – I don't know. They think it's dumb to watch those shows for I, I, I can't grasp it, you know, just because something's old, you know, like even the day the earth stood still from 1951. It's, it's, so it's old. What what does that have to do with anything? What the acting's not up to snuff? Uh, is it a good story? Oh, are the characters cool? Oh, well, OK. So the fuck what about everything else? Fuck it. I don't care. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, it's it's really I mean, we're we're kind of missing something <laughs> today uh compared to what was miraculously being done in the 90s. And and I I really feel like it's it's shy of miracles that those shows ever got made that they could get to the levels of production that they could in the first place. Um wow. And and the other thing that we're missing, man, streaming services and even torrenting. You know, even though torrents can you can you know, you can put in like in an MKV file, you can put in, you know, separate audio tracks and everything. Yeah, I'm I'm really feeling it like that, you know, having all those special features. And look, the Blu-rays today, like they, they don't have them. 
you know, like I, I've gotten some some recent Blu-rays for recent films and they don't bother putting any special features on them. They don't fucking care. And and I get it. The only reason that they were putting these things into was to get people away from VHS and get them onto DVD. Uh, whether people used the special features that came with the DVD or not, you know, they wanted them to buy. Uh, it was a reason to get people to buy into it. And so they promote it. So I just feel it, it's it's all fortuitousness. You know, because at the end of the day, all the shit was marketing, right? All the shit was just about making a buck for the studios, you know, for for Hollywood and whatever else. But I'm glad I was there to be able to, you know, to where they were willing to at least pretend that they cared about the artists, you know, the people that created Babylon 5, SG-1 and whatever, and and that they gave you the materials to, you know, to experience it in in ways that that weren't previously possible honestly before the 90s before even DVDs and before a lot of the uh, effects that that these shows were pioneering at the time i'm just uh, yeah hashtag #blessed that that's how i feel about it and and i feel bad for anybody that can't appreciate this shit uh, i i really really do because you are missing out on just some of the finest art that humanity's ever put together so okay that was 15 minutes <laughs> of me talking about all that and we've got tons of questions to get into but it's just it's something that it, it struck me it really it, like it really hit home um and again i know that it's not like there was some golden era where hollywood where you know tv studios and whatever actually gave a shit about art that's not what the bulk of, of of any kind of mainstream entertainment is about. It's about making a buck. It's not actually about the art. Um, I mean, it can be if it's a prestige film or something like that. Uh, certainly that doesn't happen in TV. But generally, you know, it, it's, it's not about the art. I understand that. It, it just so happened that these, you know, these, these production teams and these creators and writers were were so clever that they snuck in great art, you know, underneath the guise of... <laughs> you know, of something that, that, you know, that could make the studios a buck or two, um, and, and that they felt was worthwhile. So I just, I feel really, yeah, I'm just very happy that I was alive then and that I got duped into watching it just because it was the only thing around. And then you find out that, well, it's not, it wasn't, it's not just that it was the only thing around, but it's the greatest thing that's ever made and nothing's ever going to top it. Most likely nothing will ever top it. I, I just can't, I can't picture that. Um, I, I can't imagine something that could get away with being as unique um, and as, shall we say, individualistically high standard. Uh, I, I mean, because like, what's the message of everything today? Every the message in every fucking from the Avengers to take your pick is, oh, we got to work together. Oh, unity, blah, blah, blah. Individualism's not a part of the not a part of the day with any of this shit today. And I don't think it ever will be again. I, I don't not 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 in what's mainstream, not in what HBO's making, not not in any of that stuff. You're just not you're not going to get that anymore. It's not going to happen. Um, and people don't even seem to want it anymore. Uh, you know, in the 80s, it seemed to be a thing like Knight Rider and MacGyver. You could get away with that. You know, one guy against the world. Sure. Uh, but today, oh, no, no, no. It's got to be team. We got to be a unity. We got to we got to work together, blah, blah, blah. You know, set aside our differences. No, you should be fucking embracing your differences. God damn it. That's the very essence of the human condition and human freedom. But whatever. All right, let's get on to some questions for fuck's sake. <laughs> well, here's a little something. So I'm, I'm going to give you this is just a little heads up for you. Uh, and this is tech related. Uh, I think it was Android or Droid Life or whatever the fuck the, the site is called. There's there's been a couple others that have been reporting on it now. But there is uh, rumors from a very reliable source, apparently, at Google that uh, YouTube Remix, which we've talked about this um, and I've talked about this in the past, but I just want to give you a reminder. So if you need to get ahead of the game, 
a YouTube Remix, which is this proposed new music service uh, that Google is going to come out with, is apparently going to replace Google Play Music, and Google Play Music is going to shut down. Now, whether or not this means that you're going to lose, like if you, I don't know if YouTube Remix is going to have, all right, back up. So Google Play Music, the main advantage of Google Play Music wasn't the amount of songs that it had. It wasn't that you could buy albums. Well, that's an advantage because that that's going the way of the dodo. But the main advantage that Google Play Music had was that you could upload 50,000 to, if you had a Samsung Galaxy phone for some reason, you could upload 100,000 songs. Okay, that was the main advantage of your own songs. Um. And that if that's going away because of YouTube remix, that sucks because well, I mean, it doesn't suck so much for me because over the past year, I've been getting all of my music off of Google Play Music where I had it like kind of cloud stored. Um, But this just goes to show this is just another nail in the coffin. Never just do not rely on a Google service ever. Just don't. You know, I'm amazed Google Docs is still around. Fuck, I'm amazed Gmail's still around. In fact, for a little while, we thought Gmail would would almost would almost kind of go away and inbox would replace it. Ended up going the other way around. But yeah, the yeah, also there was that rumor or there, apparently they are transferring people away from development on Allo. And so Allo, which is Google's little, you know, quote unquote encrypted, not really, but their Google Assistant based messaging service, they're canceling that. Just stop with this company. Don't don't base your business. Don't rely on this fucking company ever. <laughs> you know, just don't. I mean, this shit just gets replaced and shut down all the time. Now, is it because the company's got to make money? And if the service isn't making money, what are you going to do? Well, sure. But then don't rely on them. <laughs> OK, if, if you know, if, if they're going to move this fast with a lot of things. I mean, Google Play Music's been around for what? five, six years now, you know, I mean, that's a pretty good run for a Google service, quite frankly. Some of them don't even run that long, Uh, but it's just another nail in that coffin. And honestly, I am concerned with the way that Microsoft is shaking things up because what I, what I had done, well, I had actually done two things, but the first thing, what I had done is I transferred all my music from Google play music. You know, I I had to download it or not all of it, but you know, it's, it's been a long process because we're talking about a lot of music. Um, I downloaded it and would upload it to OneDrive, which would work through Microsoft Groove. Now, I don't know how long I would rely on that, you know, (laughs) with Microsoft is even going to keep that uh, a possibility where you can listen to your own uh, library through Microsoft Groove, through the app, you know, the music player, Microsoft Groove, which is available, you know, on mobile and and, and desktop and everything. Um, I mean, Groove has a real advantage because you can play it anywhere. Like, I mean, just like Google Play Music, like you can play it on the web, you can play it, you know, there's there's a desktop app for it on Windows 10, you know, there's iOS and Android apps and everything. I mean, you know, it's all over the place. But I don't know how long I'm going to count on that. So, I mean, fortunately, at the same time that I was putting it on Groove, I was also putting it on my own NAS, okay, on my own network area storage, which has a music player that also has adjoining mobile apps for it. Um, and that I can play through, you know, the, the web portal uh, or the, the, the browser portal, uh, you know, to my NAS. So bottom line being is that I wouldn't count on any of these services ever really. You know, it, it's folks, it's I've said this before, but I, I'm saying it really, really strongly right now. It is time to take back control of your fucking data. If you're serious about your shit, you know, if you're serious about music and your music collection, 
Don't count on, I wouldn't even count on Apple. Don't count on any of these people. They want to get you all on a subscription service. They don't want you to have, you know, independent use of, of your own music and shit like that. Uh, take control of it. Set up your own NAS, whatever you got to do, you know, or have a, have a I don't know, a four to eight terabyte hard drive in your laptop or something. You know, whatever it takes. Do that. Get ready because, I mean, this shit's shutting down. All right, uh, let's get into the actual questions here. So just just putting that out there. I mean, and they're saying, according to the to the source, like Google Play Music's shutting down by the end of the year, by the end of 2018. So probably at Google I.O., they're going to talk about it and they'll announce YouTube Remix and they'll say Google Play Music's going to shut down um, and you're probably going to have to get your music off of there. Just like the same thing happened when, when Microsoft shut down uh, the Groove Music, uh, Music Pass or whatever it was called, where it was a streaming service, and it also had a music store built into it. If you bought albums off of that music store, you had to download them and then re-upload them to your OneDrive if you wanted to keep them within like the Groove app. So I would imagine it might be very similar with Google Play Music, but we'll see. Uh, okay, so let's get into... we. So this is from one person. It's two questions from one person. We'll We'll break them down. Hey Stallion, thanks. Uh, thank you for everything you do. Can't tell you how much I appreciate the show. Woo, thank you for appreciating it. Couple quick ones I heard today and thought I'd love to hear your hot or measured take on at some point. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I get hot, <laughs> but I try to keep it measured. Um, boy, got hot on on this week's episode, no doubt. By the way, folks, thank you. You know, some people were wondering where the show was, but as soon as actually, some people like sent me apologies. When I finally released the episode on Monday night, this week's episode of, uh, you know, Sovereign Tech Prime, episode 274. Um, I mean, I just like like I described in the intro, I hit an absolute perfect storm of problems that could happen to a mobile podcaster, you know, at that moment. I mean, right now I'm in the BDSM studio, but, you know, like I just and and I recorded, the, you know, the eventual episode that way. Uh, I mean, and I understand, like I released that episode just a few minutes <laughs> After I got done recording it and you know, when that episode came out, it was after 11 o'clock at night, you know, I mean, I, I don't have to do this. I know, but I care, like I'll stay up all fucking night long to make sure you get your hookup, you know, and, and I, I've, I, I put in the time, uh, you know, I, I take, you have no idea or maybe you have an idea cause I hope it shows in my general professionalism. I take sovereign tech so seriously. You know, this is, this is my, you know, I know the rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson, he talks about how like working out is his anchor. Certainly for me as well, working out is absolutely my anchor, uh, no doubt. Okay. But at the same time, like sovereign tech is completely, you know, my, my anchor in life. Um, I, I mean, like having an episode pretty much every Saturday minus, I mean, you could count the times on my hand how many times I haven't released a show on a Saturday. And usually I let you know well ahead of time if I'm not. Um, it is my absolute anchor, you know, and, and being able to interact with you and, and hearing from you, from the listeners, you know, that you find value in my show uh, just, just means the world to me. Uh, and, and I've just met the most beautiful people in my life. Thanks to sovereign tech. And, and, you know, anyway, it, it's, it's contributed to my general happiness. You know, don't, don't ever think that, I mean, you never know when you put yourself out there in the form of, say, a podcast or writing or whatever else. You never know just what that can bring into your life. Sometimes it can absolutely make so many dreams or every dream uh, come true. So huh, anyway, um, <laughs> uh, where, where were we here? So, yeah. OK, let's read this person's questions. Um, number one. 
I'm not well versed in cryptography. If Steve Gibson is right and the crypto in use by Telegram is at least somewhat questionable, why is the Russian government going the extra mile to hammer them? Is it just to make a statement? It seems weird, especially if their own people were actually using it too. Yeah, okay, so this is, I've only briefly at points talked about how there is now, uh, you know, pretty much Russian legislation against uh, Telegram, the company, and they want access, you know, to Telegram servers. They want to be able to, you know, look at what's going on inside, blah, blah, blah. Conversely, we've talked about for many years. Now, understand, when, when Sovereign Tech first started, you know, five, six years ago, I was very bullish on Telegram. I was a fan. I still, in many ways, am. And part of the reason is, is that, you know, we have the old Sovereign Tech saying, don't follow the money, follow the attitude. And while the attitude of Telegram is, it's run by a triple black wearing anarchist. The real deal. Okay, same with Signal. Signal is also run by an anarchist. Good. Those are the people, and you, if you ask an honest tech journalist, especially one that covers cybersecurity, they like it when anarchists run companies. You can find them. You can find their quotes about it, that they're glad that there are, there are people who trust no governments that are, that are running, these, you know, running these incredibly important communication platforms, as am I. But eventually, you know, we find out that, well, and I mean, like, I, in, I, first I was in favor of MT Proto. You know, when Telegram first came out years ago, I was in favor of MT Proto. It's like, okay, well, yeah, it's time for some new protocols. I mean, the Signal Protocol is a new protocol. You know, it, it's, it's time for all this. But then eventually, you, you know, you kind of have to come to the admission, personally, that, well, this, is, this MT Proto is kind of an ugly hodgepodge of, you know, of, of cryptography, and it's not as solid or as well-reviewed as, say, what the Axolotl protocol was, which is the Signal protocol. And then also, like, I think in 2015, there was uh, some auditing of the app, and you found out that so much was getting stored, even with secret chats, so much was getting stored in plain text on the device itself, you know, on your phone. I mean, it's better than it getting stored in the server's plain text which Telegram would, wouldn't do anyway, but for it to be in plain text on your device, I, I mean, that's a huge security no-no. You know, that, that's a problem. Now, supposedly some of that's been fixed and, you know, plugged and whatever, you know, those, those kinds of issues, but those issues were there. Um, also, you know, Iran has had some pretty hard sanctions against, um, against Telegram. And yeah, it does make you wonder. It's like, wait a minute, if Telegram's encryption can just get broken, you know, what's with the dog and pony show of, hey, we want to see your servers when... You know, theoretically or, you know, by by most people's uh, uh, curiosity and questioning of Telegram's encryption itself. Well, anybody should be able to break this. You know, how do we know that we can trust it? Well, here's the thing is that the bounty to break MT Proto, which actually we're up to MT Proto 2.0, which Telegram is using, uh, you know, has never been paid out. There's been like a five hundred thousand dollar bounty or something, some stupid amount of money where they said, look, if you can crack it, we'll, you know, Pavel Duroff will pay it out, which Pavel Duroff is a billionaire, a multi-billionaire. Uh, and I think he could absolutely do that. You know, he like that money's chump change to, to you know, to uh, to Pavel Duroff, who's the head of Telegram. And like I said, is an anarchist. Uh, so, you know, what, like what, what's the deal here if it's that bad? Well, here's the thing is that, yeah, as far as we know, MT Proto really hasn't been broken. The thing is, is not no one's saying that Telegram has been has been busted into. Okay, even though there are questionable practices that the app is engaging in, like I mentioned in 2015. But the concern is, is that because it's such a hodgepodge and because it's like such a weird thing, it's not at the it doesn't meet the very stringent standards of a security researcher or of a cryptographer. 
Okay, it doesn't meet those standards. Not saying that it's been broken, but it just doesn't meet those standards. So that's kind of where the disconnect is. As to where you have, uh, you know, cryptography that does meet, you know, the highest standards, okay, of of a cryptographer and security researchers. For example, uh, ZK Snarks, you know, which uh, Zcash and Zencash use as a backbone. I mean, like we're talking about, I know I use this term a lot, but it's important to get this in your head. We're talking about a genuine scientific breakthrough here, okay, in cryptography. This is huge, you know, and that's been looked over, and it's not a hodgepodge. This is ground up, groundbreaking stuff. Uh, same with the Excel, or you know, the Signal Protocol. Okay, the Signal Protocol, same score. It's been audited. It's been looked over. You're doing it right. Okay, much. Uh, I mean, and you find out about this stuff eventually, like iMessage and some others. You know, there, there's some questionable shit that finally people have about this. Wait, oh, how's the secure, secure enclave setting this up? Oh, they can't really fix this part of it. Blah blah blah. You know. So while while a good chunk of the world relies upon the encryption and accepts in general the encryption that like iMessage offers right on iPhone, um, you know, you ask again, you ask an honest security researcher, cryptographer, and they're going to tell you, oh, no, you you should be using Signal, (laughs) you know, like like if it's if it matters that much. So there's encryption that in general works. okay, and and it, it makes things. Uh, at the very least, it makes things expensive to do. And that's really the answer here is that while Telegram's encryption is questionable, it does still make things very expensive for authorities to get into. And things being expensive for authorities is reason enough to pass regulation. OK, um, and Russia probably feels they need to pass regulation because it is far too expensive to fuck with Telegram. Does that speak well of Telegram? Yeah, in a way it does. In a way it does. And look, I mean, despite concerns around the encryption uh, scheme, you know, of of Telegram, it's still, especially in the in the cryptocurrency space, it's probably the most used messaging platform or social platform out there. You know, I mean, it's huge. And that you know that's all right like i I, i've said this a bunch of times with with telegram when i finally said okay look i'm not going to defend you know empty proto anymore i said with telegram you can still use it just understand that it's like a facebook alternative and that the encryption might be a problem at some point you know and like with the secret chats you can feel a little more comfortable even though when we found out that stuff was getting stored in plain text on your device i wouldn't have been so comfortable about it but Regardless, um, yeah, I I, I hope that kind of answers that because, yeah, I think they just want to eliminate this being such an expensive thing. And also, this could all be, you know, I mean, this is me getting a little conspiratorial. I think that this could all just be a PR stunt to get people off of Telegram in general in in Russia and to, like, try and like, you got to understand that. Pavel Durov and the Russian government have a very, very ugly history. Okay, and I could see this as being just a way to fuck with Telegram itself and get people off of it and to really like hurt Pavel Durov. Like, I think the Russian government would do that. You know, I think they're that vindictive. Okay, he already got kicked out of VK. I mean, like there's a million there's so much shit like, you know, if Mark, for example, if Mark Zuckerberg, which Pavel Durov has been called the Zuckerberg of the East I mean, that that's that's a very superficial comparison because I think Pavel Durov actually has ethics as to where Zuckerberg has none. Um, 
So, like, if Mark Zuckerberg wanted to leave the United States and take the entire company Facebook with it and all of those tax dollars and all that other shit, I think the U.S. would would pull some pretty vindictive fucking regulations on him and and or or like court orders or some kind of bullshit, you know, to, to keep him from doing that. I really, really think they would. And I think this could very much be, you know, like a very a part of if it's not part of the answer. I don't think it might be all the answer, but I think it could be part of the answer that this is the Russian government fucking with one of their big money makers and one of their little golden boys, which I mean, not that Pavel Durov worked for the government, but he was an economic force in that country that is no longer there. And VK is, you know, losing ground, which he helped create. And VK is genuinely the the Facebook of the East. Um, That's a fair statement to make. You know, VK dot com is is, you know, losing ground by the day and you know russia is losing its social media so i mean really it could be it could be something that simple bottom line being yeah don't trust telegram with your life granted i don't know how many messaging platforms i necessarily trust my with my life but you get my point okay so i i hope that that kind of answers that answers that steve gibson and i'm glad if you're listening to steve gibson awesome um you know the security now podcast my personal favorite podcast uh, I get his point. He's coming from a very purist cryptographic, you know, standpoint saying, well, their cryptography sucks. That doesn't mean it's been broken into, but that doesn't mean that it's good cryptography either. And, you know, that that's <laughs> that's kind of the thing. Like shitty, shitty, shitty designed cryptography is still bad cryptography at the, uh, you know, is still t- potentially really bad encryption at the end of the day. So whether it's been broken into or or not that's whether it's been broken into or not is not a great standard to hold anything by when it comes to cybersecurity maybe that's the whole moral of the story here okay let's go on to uh, question number 2 on a personal level uh, or sorry on a personal level i agree with you 100% with your fuck microsoft state uh, sentiment it's a pretty disappointing reversal in what looked like promising positive change to me on a practical or corporate it level however your thoughts on their Chrome security extension that dropped today, privacy and other issues aside. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, privacy and, and, and all that, you know, forget about it. Like, let's just let's just forget about the fact that it's Microsoft for right now. <laughs> OK, when we talk about this. So what's what's being talked about here is the uh, what's it called? The Windows. Um, yeah. Windows Defender Browser Protection Chrome extension. Um, now, I think it's kind of stupid. First off. Okay, I know I said forget about that it's Microsoft, but let's not. Calling it the Windows Defender uh, browser protection Chrome extension is kind of a bad idea, right? Because Chrome is cross-platform, and why would you put the term Windows on there if you want a bunch of people to end up using this, (laughs) you know, on Chrome wherever they happen to have it installed? Bad, I would have called it, off. like, hell, call it Office or call it Microsoft. I don't know, give it some other name. But but putting Windows Windows Defender at the front is kind of shitty, even though I get it. They're mentioning the Windows Defender, which is the quote unquote security suite. I put that in quotes security suite in in Windows 10. Um, But anyway, so the the browser protection Chrome extension, um, this is to stop phishing attacks. It creates effectively like a a continual uh, blacklist or whitelist, depending on which way you're looking at it, of sites that are harmful and. Microsoft, you know, their argument for why they're putting this out there and saying that it's better because Chrome already has this kind of anti-phishing, you know, list built or service built into Chrome itself. Okay, Google already has that built in. 
So why add on another? Well, first off, it doesn't hurt anything if you run it at the same time. Okay, like I, I think if you are, again, privacy issues aside, yes, this is certainly a way for Microsoft to keep track of your web habits if you're using Chrome. I think that's the ultimate purpose of this. Okay, <laughs> so let's get that out of the way. But regardless, I mean, Google's already watching everything you do, and we know that it's by you. We knew this. We've known this for 10 years. The instant you agree to using Chrome, whatever gets put into the Omni bar, which is what they call their address bar, right? Or, or the awesome bar, whatever. Whatever. I think that was Firefox that called the awesome bar. In the Omni bar, whatever you put into that address bar at the top of the web browser goes to Google. That is an absolute fact. It's in the terms of service. It's not hidden. It's, this is not, you know, NSA, blah, blah, blah. The, it's just, it's a fact, okay? So Google's already getting everywhere you go, okay? <laughs> you know, Google's already collecting this. Uh, so putting Microsoft on there, you know, this is Microsoft. I think this is what it's really about is Microsoft's attempt to get in on some of the Chrome action and some of the data that Google already collects about you. Um, this is a service that's built into Microsoft Edge already, obviously, um, which Edge is a very secure browser. Again, privacy aside, it's a very secure browser. Uh, number two, actually, I believe, under Google Chrome. Um, so that's something. Uh, but I mean, running this at the same time, you know, just for what it's meant to do, there's no harm in it. In fact, I think it's a great idea. Uh, uh, you know, in in again, privacy aside, I, I think, it, and other issues aside, it's a great idea to run this. Um, and Microsoft actually points at a, uh, there was a report from a security firm called NSS Labs uh, that said Edge blocked, nine, Microsoft Edge, the browser, blocked 99% of phishing attacks, as to where Google Chrome only blocked 87% of intrusions, uh, you know, from phishing. So arguably, like, this extension would be doing the better job on top of what Google Chrome already has built on, built into it. If you, you know, agree with, with the firm, you know, NSS labs. So that, that's kind of the, that's, that's the idea here. And yeah, I, I think it's a fine idea, you know, n nothing wrong with that. And to get, you know, some Microsoft branding on other products, you know, on other services like other browsers, Sure, you know, go, go for it. Um, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't release this for Firefox as well. Um, but at the same time, I'm not. I really think that all of the tech giants would like for you to forget that Firefox exists. <laughs> like, they, they really would. I mean, obviously, Apple has its own browser, too, Safari, which I, I don't really have a problem with Safari. Uh, I mean, there's problems, but, I you know, I don't take the same issues that other people do with it. Yeah I, yeah, I really, really think they would love it if you just forget that Firefox exists. And so, you know, they, they want to keep it down. They're trying to pare down to kind of one enemy. So I can't picture, even though Microsoft has, like, what is it, the OneNote Web Clipper? They've developed that for Firefox. It's not like they haven't made extensions for Firefox. So I'm just, I'm kind of surprised that this hadn't come out for that. But, you know, privacy aside, it's a great thing. I would deploy this across any enterprise environment, you know, in my home, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if, um Hell, I might even run it if I had a Windows machine and I was on Firefox. I might even run it there. I don't know. Uh, but, well, no, if, if I had Firefox. No, I, actually, I wouldn't because, again, I like the fact that 
Firefox or Mozilla, like I'm limiting where all of that uh, telemetry is going to, how many companies it's going to. But that's getting into the privacy aspect of things. But no, there's nothing wrong with this. I, I think it's fine. I, I've actually, I've tested it out and it, it just works. I can't say anecdotally if it's actually doing anything better than anything else. But if you're to believe some of the research, well, it does quite a bit of good, actually. So uh, so there you go. Um, that's, that's my thoughts on the uh, Windows Defender Browser Protection Chrome extension. Boy, that's a fucking mouthful. <laughs> Anyway, uh, whew, all right, let's um, let's get into an, another quick question here. Uh, no, I won't do the wrestling one. Uh, nobody likes when I talk about wrestling anyway, even though I get questions about it. Okay, here's one uh, pretty much just asking. Actually, I got like two or three of these asking about what I thought the best mouse was uh, with hardware recommendations. So this is something I'm I'm glad I kind of held off on talking about this. So back in November, when Microsoft released their um, their Microsoft Surface Precision mouse. Uh, I picked that up. At the time, it was $100, okay, for that mouse, which is on the higher end of most mice that aren't gaming mice and, you know, coming from from some kind of company like that. Uh, And I've been using it for a few months now. And I have to say, like, at first, it was very impressive. But I have to say, I don't think that this thing's very durable, and I hate the light gray color on it. Um. If you're to ask me what the best mouse was, I I'm probably going to hand it to the the MX Master. In fact, they have the new version, the MX Master 2S, which I've been messing with, and it's very nice, very very slick mouse, uh, and and really tracks super super well. Logitech just knows what they're doing. I mean, the Surface Precision mouse, it, it just it seems to have Bluetooth troubles, and as long as it's connected, like it, it works very nicely. I mean, it, you know, as long as but. I get stutters and and other weird things going on with it. And in fact, there may be a huge disadvantage because it's so baked into, like, I I think it's so tightly integrated with Windows 10 in certain ways, especially when you uh, install, like, it works far better on a Linux laptop than than it does on a Windows 10 laptop, which is kind of weird, right? Granted, it doesn't, it's not able to use all the features that it can do on a Windows 10 laptop, but that seems to be an advantage. Um, So I would give it, you know, again, I'm not getting into gaming mice or anything. That's a whole other realm. And then everybody has to, you know, that's dependent on how you feel about like the weight of the mouse and everything, but just best all around general mouse. I still have to give it to the MX master series. Uh, the two S is just super nice, uh, and, and works really, really well. Um, I, I put a link in the show notes for it. If you want to want to pick one up, that'll go through the sex and science hour, uh, uh, link. And yeah, I mean, I'm just, in fact, it's funny the. So the MX Master mouse will cost you 90 bucks, and it's continually cost 90 bucks uh, since it first came out a few months ago. Ironically, the, <laughs> the Microsoft Surface Precision mouse is now like 30, 40 bucks cheaper. You know, it's not 100 bucks anymore. I think you can get it for like 60 or 70, depending upon the store. And maybe that speaks to the fact that, well, over time, this mouse starts to, you know, shit the bed pretty early. Um, though I will give it this, the battery life on the precision mouse on the, on the Microsoft precision mouse is crazy. Like that battery, the, I remember the first, after the first time I charged it, like, I don't know how many, it felt like it had been two, three months before I had to charge it again. I mean, it took, it was forever. So the battery life on that thing is fucking brilliant. Way, way better than the, the, uh, MX master, but doesn't matter if it's going to like continually pause. I think maybe because it has some kind of sleep function that connects with Windows 10, because that's the thing is that it can take it a second to wake up sometimes. It's where with the MX Master, you just, you know, you go, you know, you, you pick it up and you go. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I would go with the uh, Logitech MX Master 2S uh, personally. So, okay, let's get into the philosophical question, then maybe we can get into a little album of the week action here. So, uh, hey, Stallion, new patron here. Thank you very much. Welcome to the club. (laughs) And I've heard you talk about having the galactic mindset on many Q&As and in regular Sovereign Tech shows. Okay, first off, before I go further, thank you. Um, If you're a new patron, I know I haven't talked about the galactic mindset in a while. So that means you've gone back and listen to a lot of the classic Q&As. Folks, there's thousands of hours of shit to listen to, you know, that have already come out on Patreon. Um, I feel like some patrons have only listened to, like, whatever came out, you know, after they became a patron and they haven't messed with anything in the past. I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours, okay, of stuff. And I may have answered your questions in the past. Now, some questions need to get readdressed, right? Like when we talked about the bullshit with private internet access, you know, VPN service uh, this past week, you know, well, maybe next time around that I, I do my round of recommending VPNs, maybe private internet access won't be at the top of the list next time. Again, I, I just want to make it clear from what I said in episode 274 of Sovereign Tech. I don't think there's anything wrong with private internet accesses VPNs technically. I don't think there's anything wrong there. And I don't think they're bullshitting anybody as far as a lot of their, you know, marketing claims and everything. Okay. But I do think it's wrong to bring on Mark Carpellis into your company. All right. Like I do have a problem with that, but that doesn't mean if you have, if you bought a year's service plan or something, like I said, you can ask for a refund. And I know some of you have already, uh, you know, and I'm honored by that. If my recommendation helped you with that, but, um, you know, if you're uh, use have a year plan set up or something, ride the year plan like that. That's I don't think that there's any bullshit that's going to happen technically with their VPN. It's just a company thing that's that's stupid. And, you know, you want to you know, you want to follow the attitude of a company. Well, Mark Carpellis is a pretty shitty fucking attitude. So. All right. Anyway, just just to make that clear. Um, and as I recommended, you know, if you wanted to switch, I recommended AirVPN or even setting up your own, uh, which has gotten significantly easier just in the past month to do, by the way. So, OK, let me read on with the with the question here. So, uh, yeah, about I've heard you talk about having the galactic mindset on many Q&As and in regular Sovereign Tech shows. Could you describe it in more detail and how you started developing the idea or your galactic mindset? OK, Um I've kind of talked about it already, what I consider the galactic mindset. I'm not going to describe it more in detail. Like, I'm not going to go into that, and I'll explain why I don't want to necessarily go into that. But the basic idea, if somebody hasn't heard me talk about this before, the basic idea is is that you think about whatever, you know, like when you're looking at a situation, when you're reading a story, uh, and I, I don't mean like fiction, even though fiction could certainly apply too. but when like when you're reading, you know, a news story or something like that, the first way you want to think about it is the first way you want to think about anything is what does it matter on the grandest scale of them all? You know, which I would argue, I mean, you could say the universal scale if you want to go that far, but I just chose galactic. Okay. But on the galactic scale, okay. Like, like what does this matter in the grand scheme? And you quick, finally, you know, you, or I mean, you, you quickly find is what I mean to say. You quickly find that it probably doesn't mean much, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. And in the future, like its ramifications are are nil. So, 
you know, like that, that's a, I think that's a very healthy mindset to harbor. And of course also, you know, it leads you to anarchism. It leads you to all other kinds of philosophies because, you know, flags stop mattering, borders stop mattering, all these different things stop mattering. Uh, in fact, the last time I think I talked about it was when I was mentioning uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's most recent book, which is Astrophysics in a Hurry, which is a very new new book. My concept of the galactic mindset I've had for a very long time. Um, and, and I've talked about it on Sovereign Tech for years. Uh, but in that, he talks about, he calls it the cosmic mindset, but they're very similar ideas. It's in the very last chapter of that very short book, Astrophysics, uh, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. And he even mentions how there's no flags, there's, you know, all these things like just don't mean anything anymore when you when you garner the the, the cosmic mindset. Um, but I like I said, I've always called it the galactic mindset, and I'm not about to use Neil deGrasse Tyson's term either. Not that I necessarily have a problem with it. In fact, it's it rolls off the tongue much better, <laughs> frankly. Uh, so that's the idea is that you think of things on that scale, because that's the scale that, you know, the universe operates under. Uh, so. Yeah, so I'm not going to get into, like, the reason I don't want to get into deep into this subject is because I'm not trying to create some kind of philosophy for people to follow. I'm not, and I've always, I've always talked about this for years on the show, like that, that I just have, I have no interest in what's called being Elrond, is an Elrond Hubbard. And I don't think I'm that important of a person or that popular of a person where that could happen in the first place, but I just don't want it to happen at all. Okay, I want you to think for yourselves and do your own research, right? Um, you know, verify what I say, things like this. That's that's good, okay? Um, I don't want to be taken at, at face value or even much deeper <laughs> at, at, at all on anything. Um, but anyway, so how did I, but the, the part I will answer is how did I start developing the idea of the galactic mindset? So there's a book that I've mentioned in previous uh Actually, it was originally a Sovereign Tech special, but it's been in previous Patreon content now where I talked about the top eight nonfiction books. So uh, when I was younger, um, there, there were a couple there, there's a couple things that led to this, but I'll just mention one. There was something that 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 occurred significantly before. But then there's one that's a little bit later on. There's a book called The Art of Shen Ku, OK, uh, by a guy named Zeke. That's not his real name. But anyway, the art of Shenku and Shenku stands for the art of the like intergalactic traveler or something like that. It's not a real thing. Like it's something that this guy made up. Okay, and this guy Zeke is someone who like literally, you know, took a boat all the way around the world. And I I don't mean like a you know like a yacht either. <laughs> okay, like a little boat. And everything that he's kind of learned is like survival guide and everything is put into this this little book. The art, or, I mean, it's not little. Actually, it's a very large book, um, The Art of Shenku. Easily one of the best books ever compiled and put and written. And it's just it's infinitely fascinating. You could read it over and over and over again. It's just a brilliant little book. Very inspirational to me as a younger man. And there in that you get this concept and you can understand when it, when the book is written by a guy who's literally traveled the entire world in a little boat, there's this idea that we are all of us just travelers, no matter what, you know, we're, 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 we're just, I mean, regardless of whether you have a home, you know, like a concrete home that's set in stone, couldn't move. You'd have, you have to tear it down, blah, blah, blah. And you live there and you never leave it. You're a homebody, whatever. We're still travelers, all of us are technically travelers. And I think, especially when you think of the galactic mindset, that's absolutely true. 
not I'm not saying using this this next term in the sense that like environmentalists use it, but we really are on spaceship Earth. Okay, like this is this is a little spaceship that is just you know going around the galaxy, the universe, and we're just floating on it. You know, we're traveling with it. Okay, we're floating with it. So in a real sense, we are galactic travelers. Okay, like we, I mean, we we you know just based upon the fact that this Earth is moving throughout the galaxy, you know, and it, it it's not a fixed point or anything like that, and then we go on. Um. So when you think about things that way. Uh, I took on those many years ago, and and like I said, ever since I was 17, ever since I was legally able, I had to get a note from my parents, but once I was legally able to like travel on my own on planes, I started seeing the world as quickly as I could. Okay, so I've always kind of had this traveler mindset anyway, but that's really like what started me on the idea of this galactic mindset, is that you're effectively... You know, people talk about um, what is a perpetual traveler or per- perpetual tourist, right? Like that that's kind of a popular thing in libertarianism and all that. Really, we're all perpetual tourists or travelers, okay? <laughs> like because we're all moving on this spaceship Earth. And I think when you take on the mindset, when you consider, okay, how would I act if I was constantly traveling to a new place? Am I going to, you know, like what's the most beneficial, what in my enlightened self-interest, which is what we all act upon, what is the most, and that's a term that I've, you know, held on to myself for myself for a long time as well, because I originally heard it, guess where, ooh, this show went full circle, Babylon 5, Jakar said it. So, um, you know, in our enlightened self-interest, what's the best way to get what we want out of life and to be happy? How do we act as we, you know, as, as you when you end up in, say, I don't know, fuck the Borneo or something like that? Well, it's a, probably a pretty good idea to not be an asshole. And it's probably a pretty good idea to learn as much as you can about the area you happen to be in. So this galactic mindset and like this idea of being a constant of being a traveler, that we're all travelers. Lends itself to, you know, being respectful, you know, being empathetic to learning, lifelong learning, always learning because you're always somewhere new. And, you know, and and being efficient and a lot of other things. And so I I think it just like when you get that in your head that you're this traveler, like it just it it starts opening up entire different mental worlds in the bubble universe that is your brain that no one else has access to. Yes, it's a fact. No one else has access to your brain. Sorry, we're not all connected. Okay, but we are all travelers. And I think it behooves us to act as such, you know, and to act as if, well, I think that there are interactions and there are relationships that humans can have because we are social creatures that can last us our entire lives and never go away. Everything else is kind of impermanent. And, you know, change is the only constant in the universe, right? Or the only constant in life. Um, I, I think it, it, it behooves us to, to think of things in that way. And again, the, that idea of just being like a constant traveler, even if you have been doing the same nine to five, same commute bullshit for the last 20 years, you are still a traveler in the, in a very, in a very real and technical sense. Okay. Once you have that, that opens you up, like I said, to all these other things. And, and it eventually leads you to what I call the galactic mindset, where you think of things on the galactic scale. Like, what does this mean on the galactic scale? And personally, I consider it one of my little, not that there aren't key, not that there are such things as uh, 
universal keys to success. But for me personally, it's one of my keys to happiness is that I think of things in this way, that I keep it, I keep things in that perspective. And what it allows for is for the little shit to not bother me, which seems to bother everybody else. And it also gives me perspective on what's genuinely important. And what's genuinely important, you know, under the galactic mindset and, and being a traveler, our relationships, our people, the rest of the stuff, it's fun. It's nice to experience. It's great if you can carry it with you as you where you go. And I'm not like arguing for minimalism necessarily, but it, it's all kind of like, yeah, the, you know, it can go away. Like, and it, and it probably will. So plan for that. <laughs> right. Expect that. But the relationships don't have to go away. Love doesn't have to go away. These kinds of things don't have to go away. Your passions don't have to go away. They can stay a part of you your whole life from kid to from kid to grave, even though I don't plan on ever dying. And it's not some spiritual thing. I'm an atheist. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, you really you really come to realize that that the relationships are what actually matter. You know, this is something that always bothered me because look folks there was a time where i considered myself an anarcho-capitalist it was years ago but there are times where i consider there was a time where i considered myself that but there was always something that rubbed me the wrong way about this you know holding up this this uh what's the term i'm looking for edify not edifying um like this beautifying or canonizing of, you know, the concept of the free market, which look, I like markets. Fine. I like free markets. Fine. I'm all for it. I am a supporter of free markets all the way. Don't please don't confuse what I'm saying. Okay. But it's, it always like, like this, you know, just, just constantly like, like thinking about it and holding it up as holy and blah, blah, blah. Always bothered me because, you know, the human condition is so dynamic. Like our purpose in life is not to just buy shit. Okay, (laughs) it's always bothered me that like even, you know, I mean, the oldest, you know, when I I mean, when I first got into, you know, when I first got into the liberty movement, like first moved to New Hampshire and all this stuff, you know, I I came at it from my, you know, tech background and with, you know, my cybersecurity angle, which is everything that I brought to Sovereign Tech, which is why I started Sovereign Tech, because no one else was espousing these opinions. And this kind of show didn't exist within this broader philosophy okay, of libertarianism slash anarchism, whatever. And at the time, it really didn't. Okay, so so I come with that perspective. And any time I would raise these concerns saying, no, yeah, this isn't good. Like, like, you know, targeted advertising, that's a way to track you. That's anti-privacy, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I would hear people and uh, hell, when I was a co-host on Free Talk Live, people would call in or the other co-hosts would say, well, it's just to serve me better ads. And so what do I care? Blah, blah, blah. You know, what do you mean? What do you, look, if you if you know you're just willing to let anything slide let all your human liberties get trampled on just so that you get better suggestions of what to buy man you've got fucked up skews you very skewed look on life and look on what humanity's all about what being humans is all about like if being human is just consumed by blah blah I, what the fuck no <laughs> that's not what this is about life is about more than buying shit and it's about more than selling shit to other people. In fact, those things are, it's just a process. It's an after effect. It's a byproduct. <laughs> it's its not the core. Like even the, the, the concept of the market, that's not the centrality of human existence. What the hell's wrong with these people? Holy fucking A. 
I mean, it's, it's driven me nuts for years. I, I backed up from the microphone. I just, fuck. So I think when you, when you get this galactic mindset, you put that shit in its place. No one's saying markets are evil. No one's saying they're bad ideas. No one's saying anything of the sort. But it's not the center of our goddamned existence. And it's not the argument for, ev- for every part of existence. And it's, ne- it's not the argument for why there shouldn't be governments. It's not the argument. I mean, it, like, it's, it's a process. That's all it is. It's a choice, even. I'm not saying it's a bad one, either. I'm just saying, put it in perspective. It drives me up the fucking wall. Look, I love it. I love entrepreneurship. I love people that want to get shit done, that make something of themselves, blah, blah, blah. But it's not because I love somebody because they made a multi-million dollar company. It's because of what, like, the person that, that, that was able to create that, the person that had that temerity, that had the, you know, whoo, the testicular fortitude. How about that? They had the ability. I love their ability to pull that off. Not that they actually did it. I don't love their company, you know, as in their organization. And I love what, honestly, I mean, and and this is where, you know, markets are beneficial. Sure. The person that comes out of that, the confidence that comes out of a person that realizes that they can do anything. That's sexy. But it's not... (laughs) But that's what I love. I don't love the necessarily the market, you know, that allowed for it or anything like that. Because that person, you know, I mentioned, wow, we're, we're, we're doing all kinds of full circles here. I mentioned Rambo 3 earlier, right? The soundtrack. How about the movie Rambo 3? There's the great line from the colonel in that where he says to Rambo, he says, you know, the warrior was always there. Or, or you know, he, he like he gives this analogy of, you know, uh, I think it was like whoever the fuck it was, Da Vinci or somebody, whoever was sculpting something, he gives, he, it, it, you'll know the quote in the movie. It's beautiful. And he's saying, the person asks, is like, how did you do that? You know, he's like, well, I, I didn't make this talking about sculpture. You know, the artist talking or the sculptor talking about the sculpture. He's like, I didn't make it. The sculpture was always there. I just chipped away the rough edges. And so then the Colonel says to Rambo, he says with you, the warrior was always there. We just chipped away the rough edges. And that's the thing the person that has these abilities that if they had the framework or even within the, or if they had the infrastructure or even within the, the, the government run infrastructure or not government, I mean, everything's government run, right? Pretty much, or not everything, but so much of it is um, with, with the, should I say the legacy infrastructure that we have right now? How about that? Okay. You know, th- that person is always there and that's what I love, you know, and, and just, they've chipped away at the rough edges to be that person. Okay, but I don't love, you know, whatever system or whatever process existed that allowed that person to say completely flourish or to prove or to drive the point home of who they are. I love the person. And we forget that. (laughs) It's not about markets, it's about people. Markets are just the process. And so when you get, and, and you might be saying, what the hell am I reacting to? Well, look, I mean, I don't spend much time on social media, but over the years, the past few years, 
you know, when you're on social media, you get people, I mean, just being like the ugliest fucking assholes all because somebody maybe doesn't agree with the process of free markets and they shit all over this person. Baby, where, where is your perspective? <laughs> you know, when did you, when did you start holding up the market as God and stop respecting the person? What the fuck happened to you? We're a social species. It's true. We're individuals, you know, but the, the, and it's almost paradoxical, but paradoxically, we're also, we're also social creatures at the same time that we're individuals. And that comes as a, I think, uh, you know, that that's a part of the biological function. Okay. Not the mental choice, the biological function of being human that comprises empathy which many other creatures and animals on this little spaceship earth happen to have. It comes out of that, you know, like, like that, that we want to express it. We want to do that. We want to share things without sharing things. It's all bullshit. And I just see so many people like just, just, just completely forget that and, and, and trash that whole idea. And yeah, you know, look, yeah, you're an individual. You're the most important person on the planet. And so am I. And so is that person. And so is that person. And so is that person. That's the real paradox that we all have to deal with. And I've talked about many times. That's egoism. But we forget that because we start holding up these social constructs as being more important than the people, than the person, than the individual. And what a shame. And no wonder, no wonder those ideas that you think are just so logical and so perfect and, oh, if they just understood, oh, if they just thought my way, it's no wonder you never get any traction with that shit and you just come off as an asshole and you properly get called an asshole because you are. Because you're ignoring what's actually important in life. The person. So I didn't plan on going down that road. <laughs> I wasn't. I. Because uh, I didn't want to like. I'm worried somebody's going to take all that and be like, oh, this is the galactic mindset. Oh, blah, blah. No, 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 no. No, we're individuals. We all have different ideas. If you want to run with some of mine, okay, I can't stop you. But I'm not trying to create any new philosophy or anything here. Again, I think that all this just kind of leads to accepting other philosophies that have already long existed by people much smart that were that were either codified or not well, codified is a bad term, but they were collated by people much smarter than I f over the past few hundred years, if not earlier. So anyway, that's it. I am. Gonna, <laughs> oh, no. All right. No, 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 no. All right. We'll, we'll go the next few minutes because we got to talk about um, the album of the week. Got to give you an album of the week. Which is great because this will let things cool down. Okay. So uh, I'm going to give you two, okay? Because you're going to listen to one and then you're going to want more and I'm going to give you a little diversity on that. So my my album of the week this week is a little bit of a cheat because it's kind of a greatest hits, okay? Uh, and it's by Ingve Malmsteen, who I am a huge fan of, have been a fan of for a long, long time. I remember the first time I heard the song that he did uh, with his rising force. Ingve is kind of a tough act to follow because he has like a bunch of different projects that all sort of has his name in it. And the thing is, is that if you're looking through it through streaming service and you don't actually know about Ingve Malmsteen, 
you you could miss a lot of albums that he's put out there because he's such a musical genius. And he really is uh, that, you know, he covers a broad spectrum and he has a, he has all of his stuff under a bunch of different projects, kind of similar to, uh, I think, last one of last week's album of the weeks was uh, was uh, Devin Townsend, who, you know, you find him a bunch of uh, under a bunch of different uh, titles and names, you know, Devin Townsend band, Devin Townsend project, blah, blah, blah. Ingve does the same thing. Um, like, man, his 2009 album, Angel of Love, oh, that's just pure gold. But you'd never find it on, on most of, like, if you just typed in Ingve Malmsteen. Ironically, it probably wouldn't come up, and usually his, his Rising Force stuff would. Anyway, but I remember hearing, you know, the first song that I ever heard by him, which he had uh, Joe Lynn Turner as a front man. I mean, a lot of Ingve's stuff is just instrumental guitar, and it's the greatest shit ever, um, next to Joe Satriani, maybe. But anyway, he had Joe Lynn Turner fronting the band at the time. This would have been in the 80s. And as the song is Heaven Tonight, this could be paradise. Oh, man, it's so hot. Uh, I love that song. And then, you know, you go on to find, all right, I want more from this. And then you hear Black Star and you hear all these other great songs, you know. And, I mean, you're just hooked. Like, Ingve is such a crazy force. Ingve is actually the guy that, that more or less got me into Deep Purple because he talked about how much he loved Deep Purple and how they were, like, the biggest, you know, when in America you think Led Zeppelin, because Ingve is not, if the name didn't give it away, he's not exactly American. Um, you know, he would talk about how, oh, yeah, in America, Black Sabbath and Zeppelin are the big deal. He says in the rest of the world, he's purple is everything. Deep Purple is bigger than all of them. You know, and I remember when he when he first said that, and and I was like, well, I got to find out about Deep Purple. And then, you know, that turned into a lifelong obsession that, that still goes to this day. I love Deep Purple. So anyway, uh, Ingve, um, Yeah, he, he does. He does a, a bunch of different stuff, instrumental stuff. Sometimes he'll have a front man. He's had Tim Ripper Owens on some of his albums, you know, who took over for uh, front man duties in Judas Priest when uh, Rob Helford was out of the way for a little while and or out of the picture for a little while. But um Anyway, yeah, so he has a lot of different stuff. So there is a, the first album that I ever bought of Ingve was, it's called, and, and I think it's still kind of the best introduction to his work. It's called the Ingve Melmstein Collection. That's literally what it's called. It's from 1992. Might be kind of hard to find, but it's well worth the find because it pulls from all of his different project names, even in 92. And obviously he's done tens of albums after that. But it's a great intro. It opens up with Black Star. It has Heaven Tonight on it. Deja Vu. I mean, it's just got, it has his trilogy, Opus. I mean, it just has a ton, a ton of great, it's a great little selection of music uh, from Ingve, and it's really the way to get started. So the Ingve Melmstein collection from 92, that is my album of the week. Uh, and I mean, it will take you to worlds undreamed of another one that will take you to worlds undreamed of. This is the sequel. So after you listen to Ingve, you're like, wow, I really want to get into this instrumental, uh, you know, rock or progressive metal, whatever you want to call it, prog rock, you know, take, take your pick. Um, aside from Joe Satriani, who I've talked about way too many times, <laughs> no, you can't talk about him enough. Who I've talked about so many times on sovereign tech. Um, the next album I want you to check out was kind of the next thing I found after that. Uh, besides surfing from uh, surfing with the alien by Satriani is Steve Vai's alien love secrets from 1995. This album opens up with bad horsey and you're going to listen to that. You can fuck to bad horsey, baby. <laughs> I mean, bad horsey is a badass song. I mean, it is awesome. Pure instrumental other than some horse sounds that go off during it. Uh, alien love secrets pr- may, yeah, I think that's probably my favorite my favorite Steve Vai album. Um, 
Steve I, of course, who I wanted to find out about because I found out that he kind of did a lot of the wild stallion stuff for Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Well, or bogus journey. And Steve I is just God, you know? So, and he, he's done so much other work, but I mean, understand like, you know, why do I hold Satriani up? Because Satriani taught Vi, right? <laughs> you know, Joe's at the top of the heap and Ingve, of course, Ingve's, you know, you know, there too. But uh, anyway, yeah, Alien Love Secrets by Steve Vi. I mean, right from Bad Horsey, you know, you're in for a good time. Um, and there's some really, you know, like some sensual stuff in there as well. I mean, it, it really covers a lot. Uh, and you'll you'll get into all of Steve Vi's stuff, just like you'll get into all of Ingve's stuff. And you, I don't think you'll be disappointed. This is real musicianship. I mean, like complex, complex, heartfelt, deep musicianship. I mean, just wild shit going on uh, that that really there's nothing else that sounds quite like it. Uh, so do do check those out. And if you want to go for the bonus. Yeah, I mean, start listening to Joe Satriani and it doesn't matter where you start. You're hooked. He's he's the man. So, OK. All right. That's it. We went a little long with this q and I'm going to wrap this baby up. Um, of course, other content to come out. Uh, we still have our Star Wars update for this month that Robin and I will be doing. Um, and we still got a relationship rhombus to come out. And maybe there will be some other things. Uh, thank you for the kind reviews. Got some very kind reviews, even blog posts and other things written up um, about my recent release that uh, Ellen, Stephanie, and I worked on for Audio the Ancients, uh, the Emerald Tablet. Uh, I'm honored. I'm glad. People said they really loved my music in that. Um, and that I wrote, uh, you know, I composed put together the whole thing i mean you know i did it on a you know i I make my music it's electronic so it's on a computer it's not like you know and keyboard it's not like i i'm playing an instrument so i I don't want to say that i played the music but i mean i you know made it (laughs) i composed it and made it uh and i'm really honored that people love the music uh particularly and that they they really loved uh ellen's performance and it was nice to have stephanie you know get in there with a little introduction um i mean I, i want them to be you know a part of everything so it was really cool to, to include them and in, in future audio. The ancients releases will also be featuring, um, you know, Stephanie and, and Ellen as, as, as much as, uh, you know, that, that, that they fit it within it. Uh, so really, really exciting stuff. So if you want to get your copy of that, of Audio the Ancients, just go to audiotheancients.xyz, and that will take you to my Bandcamp page where all of my Audio the Ancients albums are. And uh, there are going to be more of those coming in the very, very, very near future. I already have music written. I already have a lot of it done. Um, and, you know, we'll just we'll get some performances down, get the effects laid in, and, and, and away we go. Uh, I have so much fun, you know, getting to express history and show people history in that way. So, all right, that's really it. Um, I will see all of you on the other side.